Ezekiel chapter 1. We're beginning a new book tonight. Exciting stuff. One of the things about Ezekiel is you'll notice that maybe, perhaps, a lot of churches avoid the book of Ezekiel. And the reason is it's kind of mysterious, it's mystical, some might even say it's a little strange, and um, some might even say hard to understand. But one of the things that helps you unlock books like Ezekiel is to look at other books of the Bible. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, right? Uh, I love that. And when you read the rest of the Bible, one of the things you learn is uh, there's little puzzle pieces and you can't just take it from a a verse here and there. You you gotta have the context of all the other pictures and pieces. And you know, Ezekiel, you need to kind of know the book of Daniel a little bit and the book of Revelation and Isaiah. Um, and uh, these prophets uh, often go together and a lot of things they say hand in hand and there's some similarities, but there's differences. And, and so you do have to kind of compare and contrast uh, to make some uh, gain ground, I should say, with the book of Ezekiel. But um, I love this book and it's a powerful book. It's, it's got some mysterious things, but it's also got some powerful prophecies. And later on, when we get into this book, we're gonna talk about you know, the Gog-Magog war that the Bible talks about, it's gonna happen in the future. It's yet to even happen. So Ezekiel is one of those prophecies um, that it's not just future events to Bible people, but it's even future events still yet in our times. And so we'll see that. Um, there's some powerful prophecies about the dry bones and there's interesting prophecies like the East Gate and how it would be shut until the Messiah. Like we're gonna, there's some exciting stuff in this book. Uh, and, and it's, again, Ezekiel's one of those books that if you're an atheist, I dare you to read the book of Ezekiel with an honest look at it and say, yeah, God doesn't exist. Like, like when I read the book of Ezekiel, it's one of those books that you just think, man, no man could have ever penned these words and made it all work out historically or prophetically the way it has. Um, and I love that. Uh, it's the fingerprints of God on a book that's quite mysterious. Now, if you're jotting down notes, there's a few things you might want to note before we dive headfirst into this book. Best way to approach it uh, is to do that. But um, Ezekiel, his name means God will strengthen. God will strengthen. And Ezekiel is one such dude that the Lord is going to try to use to uh, show that there's a prophet in, uh, among the Jews in Babylon. The Jews needed to be strengthened because they're in captivity. Now, let, let's, let's get a little bit of a time frame here of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel and Daniel were um, uh, closer to the same age. They were younger than Jeremiah. Um, Ezekiel, we're gonna see here, he started his ministry at the age of 30, but he was already in captivity um, in Babylon. Ezekiel gave his prophecy and wrote these words down under the inspiration of the Spirit, um, by the rivers of Babylon. And, uh, it, and it happened, you know, after, uh, after the Jews were already in big trouble with the Babylonians. Now, um, if you're trying to get your time frame right, remember Jeremiah never was in Babylon, never went to Babylon. He almost did. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar had them all chained up and ready to roll to go off to Babylon? But then uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, let this dude go. And so they let Jeremiah go and gave him the option to go to Babylon or to stay in uh, crushed Jerusalem. And he chose Jerusalem, if you remember the story. So Jeremiah never went to Babylon. So then the question is kind of interesting. Do you think Jeremiah knew um, Ezekiel the prophet or do you think Jeremiah knew Daniel? 
Um, we don't know for sure. We don't know if Ezekiel knew Daniel. Um, I think it's possible that Ezekiel knew Daniel because those, both of those prophets were in Babylon. Um, now we're gonna find that Ezekiel lived outside of the walls of Babylon in a river that we're gonna discover here in a, in a minute. Um, and, uh, and so I don't know if Daniel and uh, Ezekiel were bros or buddies, I don't know. But they were speaking similar things and uh, they were on the same page spiritually because they were both prophets of the Lord. Jeremiah, having never been to Babylon, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, may not have ever known um, you know, Ezekiel or Daniel, which is kind of an interesting thing. But as it turns out, if you remember, there were the three waves of um, persecution and, and besieging of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. The first one happened, if you recall, in 605 BC. And that was one where Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came in and they didn't crush everybody, they didn't kill everybody, but they said, you're pretty much a vassal state of the Babylonians, remember that? And it was in that particular first wave, 605, that's when um, Daniel was taken into captivity with his bros, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was the first wave in 605 that Daniel was taken. It would be in 597, the second wave, the second besieging of Babylon, where the Lord um, would give the Jews a, another solemn reminder that the Babylonians are gonna come and crush them, but they didn't completely crush them. It was more brutal the second time, but it was during that second besieging in, in 597 that Ezekiel, and if you recall, remember Jehoiachin? Uh, it was when those two guys were taken into captivity. Ezekiel was taken in the 597, the middle one of the three. But then the last one was 586. And remember the number gets shorter because we're going backwards in BC days, remember that? So, so the last one was 586 BC. And of course that's when Jeremiah was chained up and almost taken to Babylon. But, um, but by this time, by the end of the th three sieges in 586, you know, Jeremiah's an old man and he's been, he's probably in his 60s. Uh, and he's been ministering for 42 years, uh, a prophet with nobody listening. Ezekiel at this time is still a young man. He's probably in his 30s still, um, or maybe young 40s uh, as he writes the book of Ezekiel, but he's sitting there in Babylon under the second besieging. So it raises interesting questions if you ask me about, uh, did Daniel know Ezekiel or Jeremiah? Now here's the thing. We know that um, Daniel did read the books of Jeremiah. Remember that? In the book of Daniel, it says, I, Daniel, understood by the reading of books. Which books? The book of Jeremiah. There in Daniel chapter nine, he says, I read the books of Jeremiah and told me there would be 70 years of captivity here in Babylon. So we know that Daniel did read Jeremiah. Did he know him? I don't know. Um, it's possible if you, if you think about it. Do you remember where Jeremiah was when he was you know, a young minister standing there uh, in, the, uh, in the city? Where was Jeremiah standing? Anybody remember? He started on the temple steps, remember that? And his first prophecies were there. Then he moved into the temple mount and started preaching his sermons. And you do wonder if Daniel was a little boy at some point and maybe he heard the prophet Jeremiah speak the words before uh, you know, he was taken into captivity. We don't know for sure, uh, but it's possible. But the thing that I love about it, whether they knew each other or not, they're all on the same page. I love the Bible for this, for this reason. Um, if I took three of you tonight and said, I'm gonna divide you up into three rooms uh, and I want you to come up with a religion. 
and I want you to write a one-page summary of what your religion is about. So you go off into your room with your pencil and paper and you write your thing. And then the three of you come back together and you made up your religion and your whole you know, uh, creed and all the things you believe in your one-page thing. What are the odds of the three of you on the same night in different rooms coming up with the same weird religion? Well, Brad, we shouldn't do that. Exactly. Um, but do you realize what the Bible is? The Bible is thousands of pages, 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period writing on three different continents. Some were shepherds, some were kings, some were prisoners, but be that as it may, all the books of the Bible perfectly fit together. That's a miraculous thing. I couldn't get three of you to come up with the same, same thing without you, know, you guys exchanging notes beforehand. These guys, these authors of the Bible, the reason it comes together perfectly is they were given inspiration by the Holy Spirit, God breathed. And you see that here with you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, even the apostle John in the book of Revelation. You know, these, these apocalyptic type scriptures, they all perfectly fit together. Again, it's the fingerprint of God on the books of the Bible. I love that. Well, interesting, Ezekiel's a strange guy, different than Jeremiah. You know, where do you picture Jeremiah living? You know, he was always in dungeons or prisons or, you know, you don't really picture him, Jeremiah, just a normal guy. But Ezekiel was kind of a normal guy. He had a house and he had a wife. Um, we're gonna see uh, some interesting things that happened to his wife and what God required of Ezekiel during that part of the story. But he was married um, and, um, and lived in a house in Babylon. Uh, and it seems like he was, you know, um, kind of a normal dude. Uh, Jeremiah, we saw him as the weeping prophet. What's Ezekiel? Well, we don't really have anything about Ezekiel other than he kind of is a solid, just kind of a no-nonsense person. We don't see him weeping as much or, uh, you know, doubting whether he was called. Remember Jeremiah? I refuse to speak the word of the Lord anymore but then I had a burning in my bones and he said I had to just keep preaching the word. Jeremiah wrestled with this stuff. Ezekiel is kind of like one of those dudes that's got his face set like flint to speak the word of the Lord and you don't see a lot of questioning or any of that. He's just kind of a, a rock, this guy Ezekiel. Now, if there's one thing you might say about Ezekiel though is the people are so hardened to the message of Ezekiel, he's gonna resort to some of these old prophets that we talked about in Isaiah and some others, he's gonna do a lot of object lessons. Uh, instead of using words, he's gonna give word pictures and do some really strange stuff. Uh, and um, this is where I'm really glad I'm not a prophet from the Old Testament, uh, that I don't have to throw my, cut my hair and throw it up in the air and slash it with a sword, uh, or go into a house and lock myself in and dig a hole under it and get out, get out through the hole that I dug. I, I'm really glad that I don't have, we're gonna see some strange behavior from Ezekiel, but the, it's not strange in that, um, you know, he's a weirdo. It's just the Lord says, I want you to do this weird stuff so that you'll get the people's attention. And they'll say, Ezekiel, what are you doing? And they'll say, thus saith the Lord, even as I dug this hole from the, like he's gonna explain these object lessons as we read this book. And so I find it really interesting um, that uh, Ezekiel is, is kind of a solid dude, but he's gotta do some weird stuff. I wonder if the Lord has called you to step out of your comfort zone and do things that might be considered weird uh, where you work, uh, to speak the truth or to share the gospel. Um, man, just remember Ezekiel, he's got a tough job. Now also the book of Ezekiel, if you, if you sort of gave it a theme, um, it's a little hard to pin down, but um, many scholars and commentaries would say this, uh, it's about the sovereignty uh, 
and the glory of God. That's, that's really sum, summarizing in a nutshell the book of Ezekiel, the sovereignty and the glory of God. Um, so all that to say, uh, he mentions Daniel in this book. He does mention him by name three times, but Ezekiel doesn't mention Jeremiah. Uh, so maybe they didn't know each other. Maybe Ezekiel never heard Jeremiah's books or words, but he does mention Daniel. So there, there's at least a knowledge of that. And, um, and then chapter one here, we dive right into craziness. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Verse one, chapter one. Now it came to pass in the, thir- uh, the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the fifth month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Interesting beginning. Uh, he doesn't, you know, start with any long, you know, beginnings or anything. He says, I, Ezekiel, by the river of Kibar, um, saw heaven opened and I saw a vision of God and the word of the Lord came to me. There's three main things here. If, you, if you're kind of noting what he says here, the, the first thing he says, the heavens were opened. How often in the Bible does it say the heavens were opened? Um, not that often, but I have to say, if you're a Bible student and you count the ways, uh, every time the heavens were opened, something massive happens. Lives are changed, the earth shakes. Um, it's a huge deal. Um, there's, there's a few examples. You might wanna jot down, for example, you know, Isaiah chapter six, verse one. The heavens were opened. You know, uh, in the year King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord high and lifted up. You know, he, Isaiah sees this and, and it's, a, it's a radical vision, uh, you know, of heaven. Um, and another one that, where the heavens opened up, you remember in Matthew 3.16 where uh, Jesus was being baptized and the heavens opened up and remember the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove and the Lord spoke from heaven as heaven opened up. Um, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Was that a life-changing event when Jesus got baptized? Of course, that was a big deal. Um, so you got Isaiah chapter six, you got Matthew 3.16, <clears throat> but you also have Acts 7.56. Do you remember what happened in Acts 7? Right, Stephen. Uh, we saw the heaven opened up as they were stoning him to death. He was the first Christian martyr in the Christian church as they were there. Remember Paul the Apostle, who was Saul at the time, uh, was holding the clothes of the guy, guys that were stoning Stephen. But Stephen's face began to glow and shine like the sun as they were stoning him to death. And he didn't you know, seem to show pain, but, but he had joy instead. And the heavens opened up and he saw you know, the Lord there seated upon the throne. Um, you know, so you got that opening of the heaven in Acts 7 with Stephen. Acts, um, uh, also chapter 10. Uh, do you remember in verse 11 when Paul the apostle um, was riding on the road to Damascus and the heavens opened up and Paul got, Saul got knocked off his high horse. Remember that whole story? And the Lord says, you know, why do you persecute me? And he says, who art thou? Lord, <laughs> he knew, he knew he had been persecuting. Uh, but it was at that point, Paul's life would be transformed there in Acts uh, chapter 10. Um, and then also Peter's uh, vision of the sheet coming down from heaven. Remember that story? Um, 
that also was a big one, uh, 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 Peter's sheet. Um, but all that to say, uh, Revelation 19, uh, 19 verse uh, 11. Do you know what happens in Revelation 19? The second coming of Christ. We see heavens open up there. That's gonna be a big deal when that happens. Who's gonna be coming with Jesus from the opening of heaven? Us, right? 10,000s of his saints are gonna be returning with Christ to rule and reign with Christ. That's gonna be a radical deal. Um, and the Bible says that that's gonna happen. That's why I believe the rapture had to happen long before that. Um, those that say you, the rapture is gonna happen at the end of the tribulation, I call that yo-yo theology. Because you get raptured up and then you come back down. Uh, there's no reason to be raptured. Uh, but if you're raptured at the beginning of the tribulation period, you're in the marriage feast of the lamb uh, there with the Lord in our honeymoon in heaven, if you would, for uh, the church, the bride of Christ with the bridegroom, Jesus, for seven years while the earth is going through tribulation. Then we come back with the Lord in Revelation 19. But that's another scene where the heavens are opened up. So the heavens were opened before Ezekiel and the second operative key here is I saw visions of God. Um, now this is a big deal. Not too many people saw visions of God. And there's an interesting thing about this. No man can see God and what? Live. So these are kind of interesting glimpses. Uh, when, when a guy sees a vision of God, um, no man can see God and live. This is sort of us looking through a lens that protects us from certain death. <clears throat> when we hear, you know, Ezekiel give us descriptions of heaven and the throne and God himself, and he's gonna give this. But a somber part of this is also verse three, and the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel. Now, a prophet of the Old Testament, you didn't take these words lightly. Um, I remember in the 60s when I was a little kid, uh, the, the church I was at, there was a lot of hippies getting saved and the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s. But I remember there was kind of a thing where, you know, these guys were walking around. I think they had smoked a little too much weed, but praise the Lord, they were saved. You know, they got saved. Um, but they'd walk up and say, I have a word from the Lord for you. And it was real spacey and a little weird. Um, and the problem is sometimes I think it was, and sometimes it wasn't. It was a little hard to tell if the guy had just been smoking too much weed. A word from the Lord. But I, I always marvel at guys that I, I've got a word from the Lord for you. Be careful if you say that. Did you know if you said that in the Old Testament as a prophet and you didn't have a word thrown, what would they do to you? They would stone you to death if your prophecy didn't come to pass. So here's Ezekiel, he's, he's laying it on the line saying, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the prophet. Um, actually, Ezekiel the priest. Was he a priest or was he a prophet? Well, the answer to that is interesting, by the way, and I'll give you this because we're gonna bump into this a uh, few times in the book of Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel would have been a priest had he been in Jerusalem. He was, you know, uh, a son of the priest. He was part of the, you know, priestly family. So, you know, had he been in, in, in uh, you know, in Jerusalem, he would have been starting his priestly ministry. By the way, did you see what it said here, the 30th year in the very first part of our verse? Um, scholars debate the 30th year of what? because it's not the 30th year of captivity. So what is the 30th year? Well, most scholars agree, we're talking about Ezekiel's age, that he was now 30 years old and that's when he started his ministry. That's kind of interesting. Because if you read the book of Leviticus, when it was talking about the Levitical priesthood, there was a pattern of age of where you'd minister. If you were from 20 to 30, you were a priest in training. 
But from the age of 30 to 50, you were one of the priests. You were doing the heavy lifting, you were the dude. But then from 50 and upward, those former priests would be, become the, the old guys that would train the young 20s to 30s. Um, interesting pattern. I think the church could use some of that. You know, where you know, people that are engaged in ministry, they're busy doing the ministry, but some of the people who've lived some life and done some ministry, they need to be training our younger people, you know, the, the you know, 20s to 30s and what have you. Um, but, um, but Ezekiel would have been a priest. Now that he's 30 years old, he would have been really beginning his priestly ministry. But in captivity, he actually shifts. The Lord shifts him over to become more of a prophet kind of ministry. And that's interesting. Um, but you'll see there's some interesting priestly behaviors that we see in Ezekiel as we get into this a little further. But he was a priest, theoretically. Even it says in verse 3, he was um, Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans. So he wasn't you know, working the, the, the ministry of the priesthood because they didn't have the temple. They didn't have the altar. They didn't have sacrificial system. Uh, so he actually is gonna be a prophet here. So the heavens were opened, visions of God, the word of the Lord. All of these things are powerful and important, life-changing uh, events for, for us. Well, verse four, and I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof was the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. So already we have some imagery that's hard to figure and picture, but a fire that's folding in on itself. What is that? You know, um, I've seen artists try to do renderings of the book of Ezekiel, and they usually aren't very, um, aren't very attractive. Uh, sometimes I'm not sure these were meant to be painted uh, as much as they're meant to be imagined. Um, and we also have to remember that Ezekiel's seeing stuff that we've never seen before. So how do you explain something um, that, that you've never seen before? A fire that's folding in on itself, like maybe a scroll rolls in together. Maybe the fire was rolling in like a scroll. Um, but the point is, uh, this is an impressive fire. And, and it, there's an interesting word you can mark here in your Bible or in your notes. The word is amber. Uh, I'm not sure all the newer translations put amber there, but many of them do when it says, you know, it was the color of amber. And you say, oh, how lovely, a, a warm glow. That's what I think of amber is a nice warm glow, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Uh, you know, that sounds great to me. But as it turns out, if you look up the Hebrew word for this word amber, we don't have an equivalent English word. It's actually clumsy actually to call it amber. Um, if you look it up in a Hebrew dictionary, um, th there's, a, there's a notion that has to do with a bright and shining um, light. Not just a, a warm glow like amber color, <clears throat> but it, it's speaking more of its brightness uh, and, and its power. Uh, and, and the word that's used here uh, is, is one that we just don't have an equivalent English word for. So they just said amber. But, it, but if, look, if you look it up, it, it's an intensity that, that, that we kind of miss uh, with this. And so what does he see? He sees a whirlwind come out of the north, a great cloud and fire enfolding itself upon itself with a bright, bright shining <clears throat> light. This, this shouldn't shock us, should it? that God has fire and brightness, right? We know that God is light. <clears throat> we know, you know, from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 20, uh, 29, that our God is a consuming fire. The Bible tells us that. 
First John chapter one, verse, verse five, you know, tells us that God is light. And uh, not only that, but Paul the apostle at the time of his conversion, remember the road to Damascus that we were talking about there? Did I say Acts 10? I meant Acts 26. But Paul, um, you know, um, spoke about that brightness and he said, the brightness of the sun, when he, when he was knocked off his horse, remember he went blind temporarily? He said, the brightness of God was brighter than the sun. The sun's pretty bright. Uh, but uh, as it turns out, I think God makes the sun look like a little candle. <clears throat> so this brightness is a theme that we see throughout the Bible, consuming fire, brightness. Um, and uh, the, it also kind of speaks of the unapproachable presence of God the unapproachable presence, but that makes me nervous. Um, how then can we approach God? Well, that's what the whole Bible's about. The whole Bible is about how do we approach God and we can't because we're sinners. Um, and so God comes up with the way, the truth and the life, the way no man comes to the Father, which is bright and shining and burning and consuming fire. None of us could live through that except for the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, uh, the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God shined there. And, and there the Lord says, at the mercy seat, that's where I will let you approach me and come into my presence. So while as humans, we can't approach God, no man could be in God's presence really and live. But the good news is someday when, we're, uh, when we see him, the Bible says we will be what? Like him. First John 3 tells us that. So we'll be able to be in his presence in our new uh, resurrected bodies. Uh, but until then, uh, it'd be a deadly deal to try to stand in the presence of God. So this is a vision uh, of, of God and his brightness and his consuming fire and in his awesome glory. You know, this is, this is kind of the theme here. Now, in the next sections of, of chapter one, we have four things described here <clears throat> that, are, that are pretty intense. Uh, the first thing is, um, we have these four living creatures. Uh, that's uh, verses five through 14. Then number two, we have the four wheels that we're gonna talk about. And then number three, we have the expanse that's over their heads. And then number four, we have the throne itself as we see this sort of vision of what's going on in heaven from Ezekiel. So let's see these four creatures. And, and um, when I, when, I, when I was a kid and I'd read these, I'd always hear that Star Wars music from the, uh, the tavern scene. Remember that? Because, because these creatures, remember all the creatures in that Star Wars, you know, there was the guys with a you know, head coming out of an eyeball and you know, like weird stuff. Well, that's what we're about to see. So for you Star Trek or Star Wars people, this is right up your alley. Uh, do, you, do I believe in extraterrestrials? Yes. Um, do I believe in Martians? No but I believe that these are beings that really exist in heaven. And someday we will see these beings. And, you know, do I believe in angels? Yes, the Bible talks all about angels. So in a sense, uh, yeah, now don't go telling people Brett believes in space aliens. Uh, I don't believe in that. I believe in biblical extraterrestrials, like life that's outside of this earth. Uh, the Bible speaks of that. And these creatures are some strange creatures, but, Again, don't try to draw a picture of them. Uh, I wonder if, if Ezekiel, like you know, these others, Isaiah and John and these others who tried to explain similar things, I wonder if they just kind of were at a loss for words and you know, we're using our English language here to try to describe something that's way beyond this world. 
Um, this is, let, me, let me remind you, before I read about these, uh, let me remind you what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 2.9. Jot this down in your notes. But it says here in 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Um, now, by the way, this is a quote of Isaiah 64, uh, 4, but in the context here in 1 Corinthians, it's talking about what God has prepared in heaven. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it ever even entered into the heart or the soul, the psyche of man. We've never even, it's not even entered into our, our minds uh, what we're about to see in heaven. So it shouldn't shock us if this description that Ezekiel gives us is kind of out, out of this world. So it says in verse five, also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of, now that right there, that, 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 that gives him a huge out. He's not saying, I saw this exactly. He's, he's basically saying, I saw something that's kind of like this, and then good luck explaining it. Uh, I'm not sure that we should try to, you know, pin this down too hard because I think it's beyond something that maybe your brain and my brain can even comprehend. But he says, I saw the likeness of four living creatures and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Everyone had four faces and everyone had four wings and their feet were straight feet and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. And they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went everyone straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side, and they four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings, every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went, every one straight forward, whither the spirit was to go, they went. And they turned not when they went, as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of lamps. When it went up and down among the living creatures, the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and re uh, returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Ha, huh. there you go. Good luck with that one. Now, as it turns out, this this sounds kind of strange to us, but did you know to a priest like Ezekiel, this may not have been as strange as you might think? Because to the Levites, there was some language and stuff here that would have been familiar to a priest of the Old Testament. Maybe you already have, if you're a, a student of the Old Testament, there's already some familiar stuff here that you're thinking, wait a minute, this rings a bell. These faces of a man, a lion, an ox, an eagle, this rings a bell and lamps burning and light and brass and fire and all this stuff. If you're a Bible student, some of this stuff is familiar. And when you, when you sense that familiarity, the key is to start connecting the dots. Let me give you one example of this. Um, uh, there's a, a guy uh, by the name of Edersheim 
who wrote about this. Um, and Edersheim writes uh, that this would have been familiar language to a Levite or a priest. And it has to do with some of the imagery of ministry and serving in the temple, the priestly ministry. So this is why Ezekiel may have been familiar with some of this stuff. It wouldn't have totally been uh, foreign to him. Um, but as it turns out, these are symbols of things that the Old Testament speaks of. I wanna give you 11 of those sort of symbols out of these descriptions. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. Uh, the first one is uh, verse five. It says, their appearance had the likeness of a man. So right there, you're thinking, boy, that doesn't sound like a man to me. It sounds like a man, an ox, an eagle, and a, uh, a lion. But as it turns out, there, there was a humanity involved with this. And, and that's number one, humanity. Uh, God uses people in ministry. And uh, there's some ideas here that, uh, that the priesthood was God's extension through humanity to minister. Uh, and these beasts, by the way, they're ministering before the throne of God. And so that's why this is sort of a type to the Jews. And the rabbis to this day, the Jewish rabbis, teach the book of Ezekiel uh, that these beasts mean ministry, serving the Lord. So the first part is humanity, that the Lord uses people. The second part is, it says, um, and everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight feet. Uh, you say, Brad, I know two-faced people. <laughs> but four faces are really, are, are really, are you kidding me? Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you have four faces, but also four wings. It's almost like there's four beasts within a beast. Um, and that's kind of an interesting imagery but, um, but even though there's all these wings and faces, it says in verse six, and everyone had four faces, verse seven, it says their feet were straight feet. That's language that's hard for us, but it means, uh, it speaks of stability. Straight feet speaks of stability. So even though there's four faces and four you know, wings and all this other stuff, there's stability in these beasts, um, which that's what the Lord wants for us, to be stable, uh, people of stability not uh, ups and downs and you know, times where we're walking with the Lord and times where we're not walking with the Lord. Straight feet speaks of a consistency and a walk with the Lord. And then um, it says their feet, the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot um, uh, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. Um, the burnished brass, anybody remember what brass in the Bible speaks of? Anybody? Somebody said it. Judgment. Judgment, brass. But this is purified brass is the idea, burnished brass or bronze, which is a symbol of judgment. And, and, it's in the, and it speaks of the calf's foot. Now you say, what does this all have to do? Well, the ox, by the way, speaks of service. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the ox that treadeth out the corn, like Jesus talked about. But these ox or calf's foot, speaking of service, it's, it's purity. There's purity of service. So the ox feet are shining burnished brass, which has, has been purified by judgment, if you would, is the idea there. That's what the rabbis teach as far as that goes. So you got number one, humanity, but you have stability. You have purity there in verse seven, but you also have practicality in verse eight. They had hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. Um, the, the hands of the man speaks of, um, you know, just, uh, Practical ministry, doing, you know, uh, using our hands to serve the Lord. Uh, their wings were joined one to another. 
uh, these four wings joined together, uh, working together, speaks of unity, unity. Um, so you got number one, humanity, number two, stability, number three, purity, number four, practicality, number five, unity. And then number, uh, number six, you've got verse 11, thus were their faces and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings were joined one to another and two covered their body. You have, first of all, priority here in the first part of verse 11, that their faces and wings were lifted upward. Why do you think that was? Well, we're gonna find out that the throne is upward. They're, they're looking up to the throne of God. They know where the main thing is, keeping their eyes directed, their faces directed, their wings even directed up toward um, the, the throne of God. That, that's pretty important. There's a priority there. But there's also a humility. That's what is that, number seven? Humility. When it says that two of their wings were joined together and they covered their bodies. So they covered themselves in humility. Priority, number six. Humility, number seven. Uh, then verse 12. They went forward, everyone straight forward. Um, the straight forward is mentioned also um, earlier, you know, how they were always walking straight. Um, they had straight feet. But this moving straight forward speaks of integrity, um, not move, veering off to the right or to the left. Uh, the next one, availability. It says, whether the Spirit was to go, they went. They went wherever the Spirit was to go. That's an interesting thing about these insightful, impressive creatures. Um, they, they did whatever the Spirit told them to do. That speaks of availability. But um, then, verse 13, what number are we on? Yeah. Uh, uh, intensity. Uh, it says in verse 13, for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and their appearance of lamps. And they went up and down. Uh, there, there's an intensity to their action. But then it even gets more uh, intense. And we'll call this last one. What is that, number 11? Um, activity. What are they doing? They're not just sitting around twiddling their wings. They're actually buzzing around. Check this out. And verse 14, the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. And so the rabbis teach when it comes to ministry, these are all characteristics that we should, um, you know, the Jews taught that. I think we can uh, transfer that easily to what the Lord wants for us. Whatsoever you do, do heartily unto the Lord and, and not unto men. You know, let your light so shine before men. Um, you know, like all of these things about being uh, bright and shining and active and serving, um, you know, using our humanity as weak and foolish as it is to serve before the throne of God. Like these are the things that we should endeavor to do that we see in these creatures. So that's one layer, if you would, of these creatures that you see kind of an illustration of ministering before the throne of God. And we can see some good application on these creatures. Another application is we see some familiar um, imagery. And I want to remind you of some stuff that we studied way back uh, when we were in the book of Exodus and other places. Do you guys remember the camp of Israel? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust out some uh, reminders because uh, we went through this only like four or five years ago, whenever we were in the book of Exodus, I think. Um, but I want to remind you if, you, if you looked at the camp of Israel, um, there's some things that, that, that will start to connect some dots here for you as well with these insightful, amazing creatures of Ezekiel. Um, do you remember at the center of the camp of Israel was the Levites and the tabernacle? Do you remember that? 
They were at the very center and this was the rule. They, they were supposed to pack it up and when, they, when the pillar of cloud would leave by day or the fire by night, they would pack up their stuff. And when it would stop, the first thing they would do is say, okay, Levites, where are you? Because the whole camp was then built upon wherever the Levites put their camp and the tabernacle. So then you, you have the various tribes and there were four main tribes and then uh, several you know, um, other sub-tribes um, but the tribe of Dan and their uh, subsidiaries, Naphtali and Asher, they were supposed to go directly north of the Levites. Does this ring a bell uh, when we went through this? Um, and so the, they were to very carefully place themselves north of where the Levites were. Um, and then they were even numbered there. Uh, and, and so we know how big these tribes were and what have you. Now, do you remember the ensign or the flag that the Danites, the camp of Dan was supposed to fly? It was that of an eagle, okay? So the eagle goes to the camp of Dan. Then now directly to um, the, the west, you had the camp of Ephraim, which also included Manasseh and Benjamin. And as it turns out, their flag, do you remember? It was the ox. And it was there to uh, the, the left or the, I should say, the, you know, the east side. The next main tribe was the camp of Reuben, which also included Simeon and Gad. And they were supposed to settle um, down there, uh, you know, uh, just to the, the south of, of the Levites, okay? But the biggest tribe of all, by far, was the camp of Judah, including Issachar and Zebulun. And remember, um, Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember all this? But this ensign, or the flag, that the camp of Judah was supposed to fly was that of the camp there of Judah, and they would fly their flag. Anybody seeing the pattern so far? We got the uh, ox, the man, the eagle, and the lion, just like these insightful creatures of heaven. And that's pretty cool. But uh, if we turn it sideways, I think it's great that the whole camp, if you looked at it from, you know, the Goodyear blimp, uh, you actually see it shapes a cross. And especially when you see the numbers that Judah had 186,400 people, uh, men of war, I should say, um, the, the camp, if you would have looked at an aerial photo, would have looked like a big cross. Um, I think that's kind of cool. Uh, I wouldn't make too much of that other than, I wonder if God just did that for our, our benefit. Um, but the main thing here that we remember from that study that we did uh, there in Exodus is these uh, images of the man, the lion, the ox, the eagle um, are the same figures we see on these insightful beasts. And the Lord told them to have those images on those camps. And so you almost wonder if, you know, the camp uh, was more than just a camp. Well, we know that for sure. We know that the tabernacle, do you guys remember? A beautiful picture uh, or paradigm of Jesus Christ himself, the tabernacle itself. I think that everything in the Bible has meaning and value. And I believe that there's a hint of heaven uh, when you look at the camp of Israel. And, and I'm sure we're missing a lot of things. Um, there's much we could go into on this, but I just wanted you to remember the camp of Israel and how that that really shakes out in, in this image of the throne. Um, we could even spend some time talking about the throne of heaven and how that is pictured also in the camp of Israel, uh, which we may do later on uh, here in this, in this book. So you have these uh, amazing creatures uh, here that are, that are listed. Um, and and you say, Brett, what does that do for us? Well, um, that we learn about ministry. We learn about God giving us a hint of heaven, uh, even in the camp of Israel. Um, did you know 
that even in the New Testament gospels, the four gospels, um, that scholars have linked the four gospels to these same four faces. Um, uh, if you ever have looked at this, it's pretty profound, but the gospel of Matthew, for example, um, is, um, is uh, sort of speaking of Jesus as the Messiah and, um, and is speaking to the Jews specifically, but it's the men of Judah and uh, the lion is the symbol for the gospel of Matthew. And, and scholars have made correlations between the four gospels and the four, four faces. Mark uh, presents Jesus not as Messiah, but Mark presents Jesus as a servant. Uh, Messiah, of course, is the king. You got the lion. Um, you got Mark, the servant, which is the ox, the servant that treads out the corn. Um, Jesus as a servant. Luke speaks of Jesus as the son of man. Uh, Jesus in his humanity. And so that speaks of the south, Reuben, you know, the Reuben tribe, uh, and it speaks of man. And then the last gospel, John, is the son of God speaks of Jesus as the son of God. Where Luke speaks of the son of man, Jesus 100% man. John speaks of Jesus as the son of God. And that's interesting as uh, the eagle ensign goes as it's mystical uh, and, and uh, um, eternal, preexistent. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of imagery there. So I'm just get, kind of scratching the surface on, on the, the connections that people make with these beasts around the throne. One thing that's very practical, it might not sound very practical right now, but it might be, have you ever found yourself to be a real nerdy tourist? Have you ever been in that situation? I've been a nerdy tourist. Um, probably one of the nerdiest tourist things I ever did was on my honeymoon with my beautiful wife, Debbie. <laughs> Debbie loves flowers, and so, you know, I, I was a broke youth pastor, and so, you know, I, I packed my Volkswagen Rabbit diesel, top speed, 50. It got 50 miles to the gallon, but I was slower than the semis on the hills. Like, But I took Debbie on this romantic honeymoon up to Victoria. Drove up to, you know, British Columbia, and uh, we camped out with a tent. It was really great. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, um, but I, I, I knew that Debbie loved, you know, flowers. So I've heard about this place called Bouchard Gardens. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a lot of time. I'm going to set aside an hour. Uh, for us to, <laughs> this is me, you know, a 21-year-old kid um, thinking I'm going to show my wife the Bouchard Gardens. Uh, all we need is an hour. Well, we got there and most people spend two or three days walking through this garden. And, you know, Debbie and I were like literally running through there just so we could make it to the end. Oh, there's a flower. Wow. Woo, look at that. And most people are like, oh, look at the kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. They're writing down all the, you know, flora and fauna and all this stuff. And Debbie and I are just bolting through. Um, I, I think people were disgusted at us as we were running through the garden. I did that also with the Louvre. I had an eight-hour uh, layover once when I was on my way to Africa. And uh, I thought, I'm going to go see the Louvre. But, you know, the train to get there and all that, it took so much time. I had like about an hour to go through the Louvre in, in uh, Paris. And I, I kind of ran through there. Mona Lisa, whew, wow, awesome. You know, uh, but uh, all the French, oh, American. But anyway, I digress. Um, do you want to be a nerdy tourist when you get to heaven? I don't want to be a nerdy tourist when I get to heaven. One of the reasons I think it's valuable for you and me to go through this stuff is, you know, I don't want to be just stumped. Like, who are those four creatures? And what's going on with their wings? And why is it that? But I want to, when I get to heaven, I want to be able to, to be a tour guide, not a, not a tourist. 
Uh, when I get to heaven, I don't want to be you know, totally blown away. I, I think the Lord gives us these little sneak previews of the throne of heaven so that we're not tourists when we get there. Now, uh, for some of you, you say, I don't care what I am as long as I'm there. Uh, you might smell smoke when you get there, but as long as I'm there, uh, that's all that matters. And I get that, and I, I hear you. Um, but I, I want to know what heaven's about. And, and you and I tonight, by putting this time in, when we get to heaven, uh, I think we're going to be blown away by God. And, and I think one of the things we're going to see is when people are in the throne room of God, they fall flat on their face. We're going to see that tonight. Um, and that's what we're going to do too. But maybe after we get up from our falling on our face, we might say, oh, there's the creatures that Ezekiel talked about. Uh, and we'll know what they sort of symbolize and what they stand for. And we'll be reminded of the tribes of Israel and the way they encamped and the gospels and what have you. And it all spoke of these things. Um, are you with me there on that? I think it's important to study this stuff. So you've got here the, um, the four beasts or creatures as they're called. Um, now, before we, I leave those though, um, what's interesting is um, Isaiah gives some similar descriptions. Does, does anybody know for sure what these beasts or creatures are called? Anybody? Cherubim, right? We, we're going to find out in Ezekiel 10, we read this on Sunday, they're called cherubim or cherubim or cherubim, whatever you want us to call them. Now, the question is, are they seraphim? Well, aren't they the same? Tomato, tomato, cherubim, seraphim, come on, like what's the difference? Not really sure. But one thing that's interesting, and, and again, I'm just planting the seed if you want to do deeper study um, there are seraphim in the Bible that are also described and they're very similar to these. The question is, are they the same? Are they the same? And people debate this. Um, like for example, listen to Isaiah chapter six. I'll just read it for sake of time. You can jot it down. Isaiah six verse one says, I in the year, pardon me, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. So what's Isaiah seeing? The throne room in heaven, same scene. High and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Now listen to this. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. How many did the other ones have? Four. And with two of the wings, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he did fly. And one cried to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. So we have an interesting description from Isaiah that's talking about seraphim. Are they different creatures? Possibly, probably, but are we sure? Um, check out this uh, in Revelation chapter four. John the apostle, as he's exiled on Patmos and he has the revelation of Jesus Christ, but he also has a heavenly scene that he sees in a vision. Uh, I'll read it to you. Revelation four verses one through eight says this. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened into heaven. And the first voice was of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven, one that sat upon the throne. So now we're looking in heaven again. And he that sat was to look upon like Jasper and a sardine of stone. And there's a rainbow round about the throne. Mark that, that's coming up here in Ezekiel, the rainbow. And then he explains the four and 20 elders and lightnings out of the throne, like, like Ezekiel saw. But let me go on. It says um, in verse six, behold, the throne of them before them was a sea of glass, like into crystal. 
And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Now this is interesting. This is John's description of four beasts. Now the word beast is an unfortunate translation here. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because the word here is, if you take the Greek word of the New Testament translation here, um, it's creature. It should be the four creatures, just like Isaiah called it. The reason I think beast is un, uh, unnecessary is because beast has a negative connotation, especially in the book of Revelation, right? Because there's the beast, right? And the beast is the antichrist. But look it up. Look up the word for beast in the Greek you know, dictionary that's used here in the original text. And it's the same kind of word that the Hebrew translates um, Isaiah and also Ezekiel of these creatures. And a creature is a creation of God. Um, so these are really just the same creatures, four of them, full of eyes. Now, the other creatures we saw in Ezekiel had lamps going around them. And we're gonna see those lamps seem to be insightful. We're gonna see that. So could these be the same thing as the eyes that Ezekiel saw? Don't know for sure. And it says the first beast was like a lion, the second beast was like a calf, the third beast was like a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like an eagle. Similar. And the four beasts had each of them six wings uh, about him and they were full of eyes within and without and they rest not day and night saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come. So like Isaiah's creatures, they're saying holy, holy, holy. These guys are saying the same thing Isaiah's beasts or creatures are saying, but there's similarities in all three descriptions. Now, some people, they take the attitude, well, I don't think John's description, somebody's inaccurate because they're not all exactly the same. Um, I, I have no problem with this and I'll tell you why. Either one, they're different beasts. Maybe one group is a seraphim and the other group is a cherubim and they're similar. They, their names are similar. Why wouldn't their wings be similar? Four wings, six wings, tomato, tomato. I'm not troubled by this, whatever. They might be different beasts. But there's also a possibility that there's a different perspective. And, and this is something that is not hard for me to imagine. These guys are seeing stuff in heaven that our brains can't even comprehend. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. It's never even entered into the heart of man, the things that God's got for us in heaven. So should we be surprised that there's a little different view? Maybe wings pop out, uh, extra wings. Uh, who knows? Uh, but don't be one of those people who say, well, because there's a discrepancy between John's description and Ezekiel's description, then the Bible's might as well throw it away. Uh, full of errors. These, these are the kind of things you're, you know, cardigan wearing, pipe puffing college professors, even in Christian universities today, sadly, are saying, see, the Bible's full of contradictions. These are the kind of contradictions they're talking about. I think that's just stupid. You shouldn't call them that. The Bible calls them that. They're professing themselves to be wise. They become as fools. That's what the Bible says. So watch out for this criticism of differences and stuff. Big deal. If they're different creatures, no, no problem. Don't, don't limit what, what heaven's gonna be like. Maybe it's a perspective. Maybe John saw it one way from one angle and you know uh, Ezekiel saw it from another angle. I'm just impressed that they're as similar as they are. That, that's the thing that is most impressive to me. But I get bogged down once again, back to Ezekiel. So you got the four beasts, uh, quite a story here so far. Creatures, I should call them. Uh, the second thing now uh, is these interesting four wheels. Let's check this out. It says in verse 15, Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel 
upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a barrel. Um, a barrel, like a wine barrel with wood and straps? No, <laughs> the barrel is, a, is another color. We're not exactly sure what it was, but it, it was um, in the Bible, always in the context of being really impressive. Uh, and the four had one likeness and their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. This is pretty mysterious. Um, some, you know, people have tried to draw this. I think we even scribbled it. Micah and I were thinking about this. Uh, you know, these are some of the old drawings from ancient dudes, except for the one up there. That's my drawing in my Bible, the little steps there. Uh, that's actually a quarter inch in my Bible uh, that I scribbled and Micah got a shot of that and stuck it there. I'll tell you what that is uh, when we get later on. That's the priest's quarters, but whole other thing. Um, but the wheel one, the wheel within the wheel is kind of this gyroscopic sort of thing. Um, who knows? What a mysterious thing, wheels within wheels. What's even more mysterious is what is the wheel touching? Um, because we're, we're having this heavenly scene but it says here, um, now behold, verse 15, the living creature behold one wheel upon the earth. How did that happen? Well, that's interesting because we know that, you know, um, there's spiritual things happening on earth. Um, we know angelic beings and creatures uh, do interact with earth. But that's an interesting thing. These, these wheels, at least one of them is upon the earth, verse 15. But then it says these wheels were beautiful, color like beryl, which was beautiful. Um, and they had the appearance of the work as it were a wheel within the middle of a wheel. Um, now, we'll talk about what these wheels are uh, in a second. Uh, when they went, verse 17, they went upon their four sides and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful. And their rings were full of eyes round about them four. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Thither was the spirit to go and the wheels were lifted up over against them for the spirit of the living creatures or creature was in the wheels. Boy, there's an interesting thing. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up over against them. For the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Now you say, Pastor, what does that mean? I don't have the foggiest idea. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. Um, and it's not for lack of reading or trying to figure out what people have to say, but I've yet to really hear great, uh, and there's some interesting theories and what have you, but these wheels that gyroscopically move and, and they move in tandem with these creatures and, and, uh, and um, you just think, man, what's the deal with these things? Well, most scholarship sort of lands because there's these eyes on these wheels and the gyroscopic effect, uh, effect seems to be sort of anti-gravity and these, these creatures sort of floating around, but the spirit of the creatures are in the wheels with these eyes. What is that all about? Well, well, well most scholarship believes it speaks of God uh, in his omniscience, his omnipresence, um, 
uh, in his omnipotence, all, all of the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful God, um, the spirit of God moving in these creatures. That, that's kind of what's being said by some scholars. <clears throat> the spirit of God uh, being like, like in the same way that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, have you ever heard somebody or Christian say, I really was feeling led by the spirit to do this. Well, that's how these creatures operate. They don't make a move unless the spirit that is in these creatures, which is on the wheels with the eyeballs and the gyroscopes, um, unless the spirit moves, these creatures don't move. And it speaks of the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present all, um, God moving in and through these uh, creatures. Um, and that's what most believe these wheels that sort of lift these creatures up and move them around um, speaks of. Uh, but this is mysterious. This is the kind of stuff Ezekiel is famous for and why people go, I think I'm done with the book of Ezekiel now. Uh, uh, let's, let's go home. Uh, no, it, it's gonna get better. And, and it gets, we'll, we'll talk more about these wheels later. We'll see them also again in chapter uh, 10. But that brings us to the thing that's over their heads. What's over the heads of these creatures? It's called the firmament or the expanse. Um, so that's number three. Number one, we've seen the, the four living creatures. Number two, we see the, the, um, the four wheels uh, within wheels and eyeballs. But number three, we see the expanse that's over them. Uh, now, now try to picture this because um, there's debate on what, the, is this an umbrella over their head? Is it a, a, a spacious glory of God over their head? Is it the sky over their head? Is it a roof over the heavenly throne? People d debate what this expanse is. Verse 22, and the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creatures was the color of the terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. And under the firmament were their wings straight, the one toward the other, every one had two, which covered uh, on, his, on this side, and every, <coughs> excuse me, one had two, which covered on that side their bodies. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings like a great, like the noise of great waters, as the voice of Almighty, the voice of speech, <coughs> excuse me, as the noise of a host. When they stood, they let down their wings, and there was the voice of the firmament, which the voice of the firmament that was over their heads when they stood, and it let and had let down their wings. Now we haven't talked about how big these beasts are, these creatures. We don't know. Um, but have you ever heard up close like a giant bird fly away? Um, it's amazing the whoosh of their wings. The bigger the bird, the louder the whoosh. Which makes me wonder if these are huge creatures. Like are these giant creatures before the throne of God? Because the, 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 the language here is, it says their, their wings are like the noise of great waters. Picture Niagara Falls. Like when these things start to fly, is it like a harrier taking off? Like, you know, a jet or something? Like, what, 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 what is this, you know, description when they start to fly? Oh, the wings. Like, I, I sense power uh, in the description here, and maybe size and mass, and it's just impressive, you know? But it says that their wings are like the voice of, of great waters, the voice of the Almighty. What do the wings have to do with the voice? Well, the voice of the Lord is interesting. If you do a study on the, in the Bible of the voice of the Lord, there's a lot of things the Bible says about the voice of God. Um, one of those things is the idea of, the, of waters, uh, the, often in the Bible. In fact, in Revelation chapter one, verse uh, 
15. It says, the Lord has the voice of many waters. And it doesn't mean like many waters, Niagara, but many different kinds of waters is the idea. Sometimes the Lord speaks like Niagara Falls. Sometimes the Lord speaks like a little trickle of a creek uh, that's almost dry in the woods, but he speaks in a still small voice, or sometimes it's huge. Um, But in this case, from the throne of heaven, these creatures and the sound of their wings has something to do with the voice of the Almighty God. And it's, I, I think it's impressive and I think it's powerful. Um, the one thing that we know for certain is every time we see a vision of heaven and people before the throne, uh, people are blown away. I'll show you that here in a second. So we've got the firmament above, which is this crystal um, word terrible there in the King James means kind of awesome. Uh, and then these wings of these creatures with the firmament over their heads, it's all part of this imagery of heaven. Verse 26, we move to the throne itself. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of, a throne, of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. Who do you think the man is on the throne? Anybody? Jesus, right. Because Jesus is, you know, God became a man and has the image of man. Now we do know we were created in God's image. So it does make you wonder, is this, you know, Jesus, the, you know, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament? Or is it God in his, his, uh, you know, we were created in his image. Maybe that's it. It's God. But we know that God, if you, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. So I believe this is very likely Ezekiel looking up and seeing Jesus seated upon the throne of what seemed like a throne, he says. He didn't call it a throne. He says it's like a throne. Kind of interesting. Verse 27, and I saw as the color of amber, same word, by the way, the word amber there in verse 4, that is not a great translation because the word amber is not really it. It's more of a bright, shiny thing. Um, that's the idea here. So I, I saw the color of amber, a bright shiny thing, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about as the appearance of the, the bow, that's, that's the rainbow, the covenant God made. It's not LGBTQ, they, they robbed that uh, imagery, the rainbow was God's covenant that he would not flood the earth again. Uh, and it's gonna also be in heaven. And I'm glad some of you might think, well, I wish they didn't steal our biblical imagery for the lesbian and gay and uh, queer uh, you know, group. They stole the rainbow. Uh, guess what? When we get to heaven, uh, God's got the bow. He, he still owns the bow, okay? So don't worry about that. The bow is gonna be there. Um, So in verse 28, the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. uh, This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. This is the response we see every single time. Somebody falling on their face and the throne of God. Um, whenever people see the throne of God, uh, remember Exodus chapter 20, um, 24, let me read it to you. It says, then went uh, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone 
the body of heaven has a clearness upon the nobles of children. He did not lay his hand. What happened? God sort of revealed himself to these people. Now, you say, brother, I thought God, no man can see God and live. Somehow, Nadab, Abihu, Moses, and Aaron, they, and the elders of Israel, they saw some part of the God or a vision of God. But what did they describe? Did they say he was like this? Nope. All they describe is the floor. That's what you always see. These heavenly scenes, you know, I saw the throne of God, but the floor was lemony fresh. And I saw that it was diamonds. And, you know, it's like, they don't, they never describe the, the throne. They're just, they're just flat on their face every single time. That's what happened to these guys. And the, the floor was as a paved work of sapphire stone. That's all they can describe is the floor because that's what you and I are going to be. People say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to give God a piece of my mind. No. After you wet your pants and you get yourself up off the floor. Um, then you might be able to look again at the throne. But I don't think we're going to have something to say, give God a piece of our mind. Uh, that's not going to happen. You're going to be flat on your face before the throne of God, I'm convinced. Um, I know it's late. This will just take a minute. Uh, let's, let's, we got to cover one more chapter real fast. Just a few verses. Uh, it says here, uh, so here's you know, Ezekiel flat on his face, verse, two, verse 1 of chapter 2. And he said to me, son of man, stand upon your feet and I will, tell unto, I will speak unto thee. And the spirit entered into me and when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spake unto me. How did he, uh, uh, pardon me, Ezekiel get back up? The Lord had to stand up. He was so smitten by heaven, he couldn't even stand up. Uh, by the way, this, this term son of man used here uh, 90 times in the book of Ezekiel. He's gonna employ this, this name, son of man, which speaks of humanity. Verse three, and he said unto me, son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day, for they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them that thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall, know, uh, yet shall know that there has been a prophet among them. In other words, you know, Ezekiel's, you're, you're a prophet and I want the people to know you're here. They might not listen to you, but that doesn't matter. They just need to know there's a prophet in Babylon speaking the truth to them. Verse six, and thou son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, um, though briars and thorns be with thee. And thou doest well, uh, dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor dismayed at, their, dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. Verses six and seven there are something I'd love for you, Athe Creekers, to meditate on this week. Are you afraid of people's faces and their looks and their anger? Are you afraid to speak the truth of the, the good word of God because of what people might do to you or say to you? Um, I wonder if this might be a word for some of us not to uh, abstain from speaking truth. I think we have to do it carefully and lovingly, but I also think that we, we lack bold Christians. The Bible says the wicked flees when no one's chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And this is what, you know, Ezekiel the prophet is told by the Lord, man, don't be afraid. Speak the truth, speak my word. And he had to be reminded of that. Verse eight, but thou son of man, hear what I say unto thee, be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house, 
open thy mouth and eat that, that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent to me and lo, a roll of a book uh, was therein. And he spread it before me and it was written within and without and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. We're gonna see Ezekiel have to eat this roll. It's called a Tootsie roll. No, just kidding. No, this roll, what is this book? And why is he gonna have to eat it up? We'll find that out next week uh, as we continue our study uh, through Ezekiel. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that there's um, just this little snapshot of heaven. We don't even pretend to understand all the nuances, but it does stir our souls, Lord, to, to realize that there's something so much bigger and some, so much more out of this world. Lord, when you lived on this earth, you told us to set our affections not on things of this earth, but things above and to be all about that heavenly scene and the throne room of heaven and that that's where we'll spend eternity with you, this glorious place that eye has not seen nor ear has heard or not even entered into the heart of man, the things you prepared. Lord, we look forward to that time and that day to be in heaven with you. But until then, like Ezekiel, give us a boldness to speak the truth to your people and to the unsaved, that they might hear and know the truth, Lord. So I pray your blessing on um, this group as we've studied here uh, with this group in the building, but also those at home watching online with us, how thankful we are, Lord, for your word, to be able to plow through difficult passages like this, but, but let your spirit just work these things out in our understanding and our hearts. So pray your blessing now in Jesus' name, amen.